matter of fact, this morning, as we stepped back a little bit, he, he preached on the, uh, saying on the, uh, the, the risen time frame, which next week we'll look even more at, but um, we step back just a little bit in what takes place. We, we come back to what we started looking at last week, dealing with the time frame of uh, Calvary, or what the Bible um, also calls Golgotha, the place of a skull, where the cross was placed, where our Savior uh, was hung on that cross to die for our sins. And um, today, as we begin to look more at this thought of viewing the cross, we're going to look very specifically. Last week, we looked at uh, and, and, and dealt with the view from the foot of the cross, those all around at that time, the many groups of people that were, were there and present during that, uh, that time frame of the crucifixion of our Savior. But uh, today, we're going to look at um, the opposite position. Instead of those there looking up at the cross, uh, we're going to look at uh, the, the viewing the, of the cross by the view from on the cross. And um, I can't think of a, a better song to be sung um, concerning the love of our Savior than to uh, sing that just prior to looking at what, uh, what that love from our Savior to the sinner really looks like this morning. And so why don't you take your Bibles, let's go to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, we, we went to... Um, the book of Matthew last week, Matthew 27, and we'll, we'll be visiting some of that uh, again today, but um, there's another account given in Luke chapter 23, and I just want to read two verses, verse number 33 and verse number 34, and uh, we'll read these two verses. Uh, I'll pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at this thought. And, and then we'll move forward with what I believe the Lord has this morning for us to uh, learn, consider, and uh, allow to affect our heart and life concerning uh, the cross of Christ where he suffered for us. And uh, so looking at Luke chapter 23, and look at verse number 33 and verse number 34. <clears throat> it says this, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, in, in, over in, Luke, uh, in Matthew 27, it describes it as Golgotha, or the place of the skull. Uh, it says, goes on to say, they crucified, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. We are going to this morning have that, that view from on the cross concerning our Savior and how he viewed those that were there, but also, uh, you understand, I, there's another song that, that is a, a, a really, really good song um, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And by the way, it doesn't matter how far 
uh, from that time frame of the cross, we get how many generations uh, come uh, in, into existence since the cross. Uh, every single human being uh, ever born, period, everyone can say when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Uh, Christ being God in the flesh had no lack of ability to understand who it was, not just the people right there at that time at Calvary, there at Golgotha, there's not just the crowd that was there that he was dying for. The Bible clearly tells us that he shed his blood, he gave his life, he died for the sins of the whole world. Not just the present world at that time, but the, the, those that had in the past looked forward to the promise, those that in the present were seeing the promise, and those of us in the future that look back to what Christ has done for us and the promise of forgiveness. He died for the entire world. And as he died, he still had the heart. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's pray, and then we'll look at two different viewpoints, ultimately Christ's view, and then we will very briefly look at the view from the thieves there at the cross, hanging with Christ, one on the right, one on the left as well. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this morning. I pray that you would allow everything we look at to or come together very clearly. May it challenge us. If there's one here this morning that does not know Christ as their Savior, if they were to die today, they're not sure where they're going to spend eternity. I pray that as we look at what our Savior has done for us, that they would realize that this same sacrifice made by the Son of God was made for them. And the same forgiveness offered that many here have received is the same forgiveness offered that they personally can receive as well. That they can know Christ as their Savior. They can know heaven as their home. And all because of the promise of God, plus nothing, minus nothing. I pray that you do a work in our hearts. Challenge us with the truth we see this morning. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> As we look here at, uh, at the view from on the cross, and we look now at Christ's view, there are three very prominent things that are evident concerning what Christ himself went through for us. The first, and, and, and just the beginning, not necessarily the most important, but it is the first. <clears throat> he went through loneliness. In Christ's view from the cross, there, there was not only the rejection naturally, the rejection of all those that were mocking and making fun of him, that all those that were claiming, hey, if you be God, come on down, save yourself. But as Christ hung on the cross, may, may I remind you, there were a few people that were in the crowd. There, there were some there at the cross uh, uh, when, when Christ died that, uh, that did care. There were those that, 
that were hurting. There were those uh, that uh, did not want to see what was happening take place, but there's nothing they could do about it. It's not like they could join him on the cross. Uh, It's not like the Roman soldiers uh, were going to allow someone there to take his place. No, they, they were thoroughly enjoying uh, the disrespecting, and they were thoroughly enjoying uh, the the humiliation of this individual. That for many of them, they were very aware of this of this leader of the Jews that many flocked to. Uh, by the way, don't forget uh, at this this time frame um, and, and and several other things taking place as well. But don't forget when he first came into town, which. I might end up preaching on next week, so we'll see. <laughs> Don't want to get too far ahead. But when he first came into town, they were praising him. Crying, Hosanna. Hosanna. I mean, they, they were ushering Christ into town as though he was royalty. He was come as a conquering king. I mean, they were excited. The entire city was lit up with who this person was. And they could not wait to know more and get closer and follow what they thought he was going to do. And in a very short period of time, they went from crying Hosanna to crying crucify him. There were those that were hurting because of this. There were some that promised to be at at the cross, and I guess we could have added this last week, but there were some that promised to be there that you don't find there. Peter being one of them. He said, did all uh, all the 12 forsake and leave? No, there's one that definitely was there. His name was John. Because... While on the cross, Christ looks down and beholds his his mother, and he looks at John, and and I might get them backwards, but basically he says, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. What was he doing? He was taking someone that cared enough to be present to say, "Um, I'm about to be gone, take care of my mother. John was present. Where was everybody else? Oh, Lord, no, we'll go all the way with you. Yeah, then it got tough. Then it got embarrassing. Then it became something they weren't expecting, and and they hightailed and found themselves in the back alley hiding behind a corner so nobody knew who they were. But Christ went to the cross expecting rejection. Now, don't forget that. Our Savior went to the cross not expecting that everybody there was going to fight for him and stop it. Because, by the way, when Peter did, when the betrayal happened and he took the sword, y'all remember that little scenario? And he chopped the ear. Off that poor individual. <laughs> now you think about it. He had the worst day and the best day of his life all at the same time. 
Somebody chopped his ear off, but then the Son of God picked it up and put it back on. And may I, may I remind you, Christ never healed anybody partly. I guarantee you he had better hearing out of that ear than he did out of the other one when it was all said and done. And yet, when, when Peter said, when Christ was trying to describe what was going to happen to him, Peter said, oh, nay, Lord, that's not going to happen. The Lord looked at Peter and said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> he looked, hey, you're not coming with that attitude. You don't understand. My purpose is the cross. My purpose is to die. My reason for living is to give my life for you and for the world. When Christ went to the cross, he was aware that the world at that time was going to reject. I, I could take it to more scriptures. I, I didn't put them down, so I'm not even going to try to fully quote or anything, because that just doesn't work well for me at all. But I will tell you this, y'all remember when the, when the Lord talked about um, not telling his disciples, don't be surprised, paraphrasing, don't be surprised when the world rejects you because they rejected me first. He already knew what was coming when it came to the people there as a, as a majority. He already knew that there, there weren't going to be a lot of individuals on his side. But this loneliness has, has nothing to do with the people present. The loneliness has to do with the greatest struggle that the Lord went through on that cross, which was when he bore the weight of sin. And through him, sin was nailed to the cross on our behalf. And when Christ, as the Bible puts it, became sin for us. When Christ became sin, a holy God in heaven could not look upon him. And so in a moment... That I, I personally, again, it's debatable by some, but I personally believe, and we'll see the verse a little bit later, when Christ was praying, uh, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. I do not believe personally that going to the cross was what he was praying to be stopped. I personally don't believe being the sacrificial lamb of God for the sin of the world was his request to be done away with. Because he knew from the very beginning that was his purpose. He, he rebuked individuals that said, we're not going to let it happen because he knew that was his purpose. Uh, ultimately, I don't believe Christ was praying and asking for the Lord to remove his purpose. I believe it was the knowledge that a holy father would have to turn his back once he became sin. Lord, if there's any way in all the, the, the almighty, all-knowing, uh, uh, all-sufficient power of God, if there's any way that you can bear not turning your back on me while I become sin, would you let that cup of rejection pass? And would you, would you be there in that moment? And Lord, can, 
Father, can we just not have to separate? (laughs) By the way, the only time in all eternity, and the only time it ever happened, the only time it ever will happen, that God the Father and God the Son were completely separated. And God the Son became sin for us and hung on a cross all by himself. No support. No help. No encouragement. Has anybody here ever felt alone? Anybody here ever felt like nobody understood and nobody cared and nobody was present in time of need? May I remind you, and I'm not belittling that loneliness, I'm not belittling uh, that, that struggle that you might have had or might be having, but may I tell you, no matter the, the amount of loneliness you uh, feel for yourself, no matter the amount of loneliness you feel that you are going through, we can never reach uh, the equaling of the loneliness that Christ felt when he hung on the cross. And Almighty God, the Father, had to turn his back. Matthew 27, verse 46, tells us this. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, what, was he questioning God? No, I don't believe so. But when you're in that much agony... Jesus knew it was the will of God. But when you're all to yourself, by the way, his eternal state had to be put on the side burner. His eternal power had to be put aside. Everything about, for for Christ himself to die, he had to set aside that part of being God. For Christ himself to die for us, he had, to, he had to release his right to free himself. May I say even the power. 10,000 angels could be called. Well, couldn't he just take himself off the cross just like he rose from the grave? Well, technically... If you want to get right down to it, God has the power to do anything that he needs to do. But in that moment, for him to be the sacrificial lamb, he had to be so, we're going to get to it, I'm getting ahead of myself, he had to be so surrendered to the will of God that he surrendered over all of his abilities. They say, save yourself, you be God, save yourself. He could not. Because he'd already chosen that he would not. He had to be the sacrificial lamb. By the way, the lamb in the Old Testament, when being sacrificed, had no power to save itself. It It was surrendered over to the purpose and the will of the Father. Now, it's a lot more we can go into. It's way, way too deep on all that. But may I say this? The Father was not rejecting his son. He was rejecting the sin his son had become. Matter of fact, it, uh, when, when you look at, at Scripture, I'm not going to go into all of it, but when you look at Scripture, that there was darkness that fell on the earth. You could not move. You could not see anything. There was such a thick 
darkness that fell. No one could view. And, may, and, and this is, I've heard my dad preach this, and I, I agree with it. My personal opinion as well. I believe it came down to, and which we'll look some more next, next time we deal with this, but I, I believe ultimately it came down to the father said, if I can't look on my son, no one else can either. No one is going to be able to describe what it is to become sin for the world and nail that sin to the cross. He experienced a loneliness that no one has ever or ever will experience to that degree. The father, in turning his back, allowed the son to hang alone to deal with our sin problem. But ultimately, and, and again, that, that loneliness is one part of the experience of Christ in his view from the cross. It's a lonely place. But then also you find the compassion of our Savior. This is the love for the sinner. Luke twenty three thirty four. we read it right here a minute ago. And it says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who was the them in, in verse number 34? You could also ask the questions of why is this verse in here? Why is it necessary for that verse to be present? Why did Jesus pray for the forgiveness of the people that were there? Had he not prayed for them? Here's a question. Would God have judged them in that instant for the crucifixion of Christ? If he had not prayed, Father, forgive them, would they have been guilty? No forgiveness for you. Could it have been that Christ himself realized that they, I'm dying for this crowd as much as I am for any other? I am dying for these rejectors of truth as much as I've died for any other. This prayer ultimately shows the true heart of our Savior and his complete surrender to the Father's will. There is no, and by the way, here is the difference between Christ and us. Why could we not die on the cross for ourselves? <laughs> in all honesty, there is no retaliation in his heart. Let us go through what Christ went through and see if we have the same heart of forgiveness to the, all those that had just abused, misused, and humiliated us. And while we are dealing with the worst humiliation we've ever felt in our life, they just continue, if you want to put it this way, they continue to kick while we're down. They continue to spit in the face while, while, while you're already down and discouraged and and you're already I'm, I'm already being crucified why are you gonna keep on they weren't gonna stop as long as he was hanging there and as long as they could they mocked they ridiculed they made fun of they egged on they egged on they egged on if that was any one of us can i give you a glimpse of what i think our prayer would be Father, strike them for the wickedness they have done unto me. 
It's a good, good thing that you and I are not God. Right? Y'all ever noticed how, how easy it is to judge others, how, how very hard it is to judge ourselves? If we were Christ, if we were in that place, I'm not so sure we'd have the love. I'm, I'm pretty sure we would not. But our Savior looked at those who through hatred crucified him and mocked him and cried out unto the Father, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgiveness requires action from God. Therefore, Jesus requested forgiveness. And the Father acted on behalf of the Son's request. Why? Because man is hopeless and helpless. Without the request of the Son. By the way, when Christ died on the cross, it was an act, ultimately, of that that. Verbal request, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The act of dying itself was, Father, offer forgiveness to a hopeless and helpless race of mankind. Which, by the way, it's, there's only one race. It's the human race. He said, Father, forgive them. And he cried through it all. Father, forgive all. Now, that doesn't, as we said last week, that does not mean that because he died on the cross, every single person that's ever born is saved. It means that every single person ever born has the opportunity of forgiveness, has the potential of the promise of God on their life should they be willing to accept what was done. Last thing on, on, in this area of dealing with the compassion, we have to consider too, think about this, what would a feeble man do before a holy, wrathful God? You say God's mean and wrathful? No, God is wrathful against sin. What would sinful feeble man do before a holy wrathful God if it was not for Jesus interceding on our behalf people say well I I think I can be good enough to go to heaven do you lie have you cheated have you taken anything that wasn't supposed to be yours by the way have you just have you ever had a wicked thought Tell me how we're going to stand before a holy God, him know all about that and say, yeah, you've been good enough. It doesn't work. It is only through the blood of Christ and it was the compassion he showed that, by the way, that compassion is what drove him all the way to the cross. And we know this. Christ did not deserve the cross. We did. The only time that Christ, as God in the flesh, understood sin, as far as knowing it in the flesh, the only time was when he became flesh on that cross. 
became sin on the cross so that it could be nailed to the cross permanently and taken care of. Prior to the cross, Christ knew no sin. He was tempted as we are yet without sin. He's the example of how the child of God, forgiven, can live a life in in this life with the Father's help, live a life free from the bondage of sin. There's a loneliness, there's compassion. Very quickly, let me go through. I know this is not one of those bombastic sermons. But it's time that we remember and consider what was done for us. As we view the cross and as we look at our Savior on the cross, you find that he, it was a time and a place of loneliness. You find it was a place where compassion was shown from on that cross. And ultimately, you find obedience. It is a mindset of humility that allowed Christ to fulfill the will of the Father. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, all right, all you Bible scholars, who was that? Adam. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. It was the obedience of the Savior, of Jesus to hang on that cross. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient. He surrendered his will over to the will of the Father. In fact, Matthew 26.39 is where we see one account of this, uh, Mark 14, 36, and Luke 22, 41 through 42, gives the same account in, in, in slightly different ways. But Matthew 26, 39, says that when uh, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, of course, he's in the, in the garden at this time prior to being betrayed, and, and he goes on, he says, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. We talked about what I believe that cup is doing. With He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. It was before the cross, long before the cross, that he was already determined to be obedient to the purpose and will of the Father, which, by the way, had already been established long before man was created. Christ was surrendered in humility, was willing to just be obedient. Well, I, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a, a Savior that, uh, that was obedient, not like we obey, but like we should obey, fully surrendered to the will of the Father. So it was a lonely time on that cross. It was compassion shown on that cross. It was obedience revealed on that cross. But then there were also two other people hanging there. Two other men that, by the way, had earned their spot on that cross. They had earned their crucifixion. 
because of the life they had lived. They were there because it was the sentence due to the works of the flesh. Christ was there because of the sentence due to our issue with sin. The thieves, as, as you look from, from their viewpoint, I'll give you this very quickly, but you see a picture of how, how each person can view the cross and reject it or accept it. That, that's ultimately, to a degree, that's a simple beauty of, of what took place that day. Christ took the cross um, and, 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 and Christ was in the middle and on both sides, one on either side. Here are men that deserve to die. And yet, in that moment, you have two individuals both having a choice. One chooses one way, one chooses the other. And it's the, it's the perfect picture of every single lost individual. You don't know uh, Christ is your Savior. You've never dealt with the sin problem that we are all born with. You have, number one, you have the guilt of sin on your life like everybody else has. We deserve separation from God. We deserve eternity spent uh, in hell and then ultimately lake of fire. We deserve to never be able to stand in His presence. We deserve every horrible thing that we get because of the sin nature that we are born with. We are guilty of. Every single one of us deserve to be in the state of rejection. But every single one of us, since Christ died on the cross, also have the opportunity to choose. Continued rejection or hope, acceptance, and forgiveness. These two thieves represent those two different mindsets. But may I remind you, they started off the same. The two thieves on the cross both had the same mindset when things began. Matthew 27, verse number 38, and, and then verse number 44. Listen to what the Bible says. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So there's your introduction to the two, two individuals that are there on Golgotha hanging with Christ. Then verse number 44 of Matthew 27 the thieves, it goes on to talk about all the ridicule and the mocking and everything. Now watch. The thieves, plural, also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. That means that both the thieves, at the beginning of things, failed to see the importance of what was taking place. Both of them selfish. Both of them uh, uh, deserving of what they're getting, but boy, they don't want to be there. They want some way to be freed. They want some kind of a miracle to happen. They probably, more than likely, by the way, they've heard of this man, Jesus. They've been around any length of time. They've probably heard of some of the stories of how he's helped and he's done miracles and all these things. And in the, in, in the beginning moments of it all, both of the thieves are picking up on the, the attitude of the crowd and both of them are speaking through their teeth, casting through their teeth. Yeah, if you're a big God, get us down. 
Both of them. If you're so important, do something. Save us. You say, wait a second, I thought it was just one, one that accused and the other accepted. Yeah, eventually we're getting there. But to start with, they both were guilty. They both were equal. They both had a problem. They both had the wrong mindset. They both were struggling and they both deserved it. But then something changed. Because as we are given the account of what takes place there at Calvary, one thief continues to rail. One thief continues to point the finger. One thief continues to attack. By the way, good point to put out here. I've said it before. Hurting people hurt people. And that thief on the cross was hurting. And he didn't care what he had to say or what he had to do. He just wanted a fix for himself. One found this cross in this time on Calvary, or Golgotha, also known as there. One found it to be death's final act. And he was trying with everything in him to find his own way off. Luke 23, 39 it says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed, <clears throat> railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. They both had the attitude, but one continued. He saw what was happening. He saw what all was going on. I imagine he saw those brokenhearted crying. He saw those that were, were ridiculing and humiliating and mocking. And, and he chose to go with the latter. He chose to go with those that mocked and he made fun of. And then he said, by the way, if you're God, get yourself down and bring me down with you. Get me out of here. Didn't care about who it was that was hanging in the middle. Didn't care what he had done. Didn't care what he was doing. Only cared about being freed from the consequences of his choices. Without having to surrender anything over himself. So he just pushes and pushes and pushes. For his selfish desires and his selfish ways. To be freed from his punishment. By the way. There will be people in the end that will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we this and didn't we that? And didn't we, didn't we do all these things? And by the way, our way and our plans and the Lord's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You did it your way. You did it for your glory. You did it to earn your own righteousness. And by the way, <clears throat> You have righteousness. You've earned some righteousness, so let's look at it. Let, let's, let's, let's go ahead and pull out your righteousness, and let's look at it in comparison to what it's supposed to be. And if we take the Bible as, as, as we're presented, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So the Lord pulls, a, just figuratively speaking, pulls out a very clean, pristine, beautiful, pure 
here's righteousness that I have. And here's this sopping, nasty righteousness that you've earned. Why should I accept what you have done your way when I offered everything you needed my way? Now, there will still be people that say, Lord, Lord, I, 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 want, I want to be out of the condemnation of sin, but I want to do it my way. The thief, I want to get off this cross, but I don't want to surrender anything up. I still want to be who I am. I still want to do what I want to do. Now, we don't believe in a work salvation whatsoever, but I do believe that we work because of salvation. I don't work to be saved. I don't serve to be saved. I don't do things for the Lord so I can be saved. I do it because I am a child of God. That second thief, and here's the last thing, we're done. That second thief, he found this time on the cross from the initial mentality, there was a transition that took place somewhere in that time frame. somewhere in all that went on. And by the way, if you picture and you read all that, 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 that happened and the darkness that fell and the agony that you're hearing and all the things that Christ is saying, understand, we tend to forget the thieves are still hanging on the cross beside him while we're looking at what everybody on the ground is looking up and experiencing and hearing, and, and there, there's still two thieves hanging there. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. When darkness fell, they felt it as well. They couldn't see anything. They didn't, they, I mean, not like they're going anywhere, but they felt as much that anybody else did in that moment. They were experiencing what everybody else experienced in those moments. And one said, I don't care. Just get me out of this. The other, the other then speaks, by the way, and answers his whether you call them friends, whether you call them uh, acquaintances, whatever, but the other other thief, knowing that we deserve this, look what he answers him, his partner in crime, you want to put it that way. He answers him in verse number 40 of Luke 23, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. It's amazing the attitude change in this one individual where he goes from from casting the same accusations in his teeth to all of a sudden realizing there's something different. I deserve to be here. I deserve the rejection. I deserve to die. But this guy, this, this man in the middle, this one that's hanging on the cross, there's something different about him. He's done nothing amiss. He doesn't deserve this. And in that moment of that thief realizing who he was, and by the way, when he proclaimed, dost thou not fear God, he's proclaiming, do you not know who this is? 
I believe in that moment you see the picture of what it takes for any individual to receive Christ as their Savior. It is when they, number one, realize I am a sinner. Helpless, hopeless, in need of forgiveness from a holy God. There's nothing else that's going to fix my problem with sin. Nothing else that's going to give me forgiveness. I am condemned. And then they look and they see a cross. They say, but that's a Savior. There's the promise of God. There's the love of God displayed. There's the hope for mankind. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And there he hung for me. And then you see the the third step. That every individual, every lost individual must follow in God's plan of forgiveness. The recognition of sin. The acceptance of a Savior. And who he is and what he has done. And the need of that Savior. And then the act of of asking for forgiveness. Now, the words you see here are not, forgive me for I am a sinner. But the Bible tells us what this individual said in verse number 42 of Luke 23. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Say, wait a second, I I thought we're supposed to say different kinds of words. May I remind you, it's not one, two, three, repeat after me. It's not magical word that you get just right. Matter of fact, though I do know the Bible talks about with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart man believeth, with the mouth confession is made. But may I tell you, I know people who've never made, never voiced for me to hear. But in that moment, they got serious with God. And then they're speaking with a holy God. Because you say, how do you know? Because I asked them exactly what they did. I admitted I was a sinner. I accepted that Christ died for me and I asked God to forgive me because of his son. It's not verbal words that you say just right. It's when your heart is serious with God. And from the heart, by the way, we say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I accept who Christ is and I ask for forgiveness because of Christ dying for me. This thief saying, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He admitted who he was. 
he accepted who Christ is and he asked ultimately for forgiveness. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. From on the cross, you see the love of God. From on the cross, you see rejection of God's love. From on the cross, you see acceptance of God's love. And from on the cross, you see the fulfillment of the promise happen immediately, not over time. And of course, don't forget, there was no baptism. <gasps> there was no baptism for salvation. It ain't rub-a-dub-dub salvation in the tub. The thief was not baptized, but he didn't lose the promise because of it. So then what's baptism? We've talked about that before. It is the obedience to God. If I'm, if I'm on this earth and I've received Christ as my Savior, I will stand unashamed for him and I'll proclaim, I know Christ as my Savior. I'm standing for him and I want to represent the death, burial, and resurrection of what he has done for me. It is a testimony and a statement of who I am in Christ. On the cross, viewing from the point that Christ and the thieves were at, Christ dealt with loneliness. But not just that loneliness, he had compassion for all those that could care less about him. And he showed obedience. Sure glad he did. Do you know that Christ loves you as much as he loved that thief on the cross? Matter of fact, as much as he loved both thieves. Even the one that rejected him. He loved him. The, the rejection was not from God. The rejection you found was from the individual. Every person has to choose who they will serve who they will accept, and if they will follow and receive Christ as their Savior. The price has been paid. Compassion is shown. There's not a single person in this room this morning that God does not love. There's not a single person in this room this morning that God will not forgive. There's not a single person in this room that God will not give an eternal home in heaven if they were to simply ask and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Christ is the Savior. I need him. Please forgive me. Just like that, the promise of God is fulfilled. For, all, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank the Lord for a Savior that was willing to die for me. Take all my sin. Take all the filth upon himself so it could hang on that cross and be dealt with. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth that we see.